You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Hey, we are so glad that you are here with us. Where do we even begin? All right. So let's start a couple of years ago. My wife and I were at the annual Calvary Couples Retreat. Have you ever been there with us? Yes. Everyone that's cheering are people who have been. Those who are not cheering are people who are single. And, uh, and if you're not married, you should, you know, you should like find somebody to go with. And, uh, you know, you got two months. Make something happen is what I'm saying to you. All right? Now... But it's a great time with your spouse, and so this isn't really a commercial, even though feel free to receive it as one. Um, but what we do is that we, we try to not just pack it all in, you know, with sessions and all that. We try to give you a really good amount of free time. And so one of the things we do is Saturday night is totally open. It's date night for everybody, for all the couples. And the last couple of years, my wife and I have gone to my favorite restaurant, which, by the way, is called Fleming's. Um, and I'll spell it for you because my birthday's coming up. And, uh, <laughs> but but uh, it's a steak. I, I love, uh, I'm a big fan of Fleming's. And my wife likes steak. She is not a enthusiast like I am. She likes it, but she doesn't love it. So anyway, but I thought the last couple of years we've gone to my favorite restaurant. So I decided this year that I was going to make a, a reservation at a restaurant that she likes. So we made a reservation at this place called Seasons 52, if you've ever been there. Um, I want you to notice not a lot of cheering. Um, and it, the restaurant is fine, fine. Uh, no, it's all right. It's just, they have this internal rule where no dish can be more than 400 or 450 calories. I don't know why people make up stupid rules. Uh, if, well, half the federal government wouldn't exist if we took away all the stupid rules. Um, and that's my political message for today. Uh, so, (laughs) oh, wow. Okay. Um, I was going to say more, and I'm just, just like, don't do it, Bob. Okay, so I'm moving on. So the portions are very small. That's what I mean. Is that One thing I have never felt when I've left Seasons 52, I've never had this sensation, the feeling of being full. All right? It's like, it's like oh, well, yeah, that was interesting. Those little morsels, that was good. You know, but like, I've never felt full. And so, which by the way, I think should be like your top priority if you're a restaurateur is feel full. That should be the feeling that when people leave. Anyway, but they're not into that. I, I eventually feel full when I swing by McDonald's, but, um, but anyway, so we go to season 52, this Saturday night, date night, and you know, I'm like expecting great things to happen. Um, and, and so I look over the menu, and it's pretty slim pickings at my, and I'll say that I, I have a pretty strict eating regimen, and um, so it's a tough place for me. And any place that's mostly that has a lot of stuff with sugar or a lot of stuff that's breaded or things that like bring joy to your life. It's, it's, I have, you know, I can't eat any of that. So my, but as I'm looking over the menu, my wife says, oh, you know what? I'm going to order a steak. And I'm like, hold on, what? You don't order steak. That's why we're here. What is the point of this entire exercise? I, I, I mean, I love you so much. You order whatever your heart desires. And uh, anyway, so the server, I start talking to the server, and I don't know why I ask people I don't know for advice on what I would like. 
It doesn't make any sense to me, but yet I do it anyway. So server gives me a couple of options based on my restrictions. And she says, listen, I'm going I'm to bring you this roasted cauliflower appetizer. And she swore was delicious. Turns out that woman is a liar. And so I got it. And I want you to imagine a giant, like a half a cauliflower head just covered in Parmesan cheese and cheddar cheese. And you know, no amount of cheese can cover the taste of death. That is what cauliflower tastes like. And, um, and you know what's funny? People are like, well, you just haven't had cauliflower. You mean cauliflower that doesn't taste like cauliflower? Like yeah, that? That's what you mean? Well, yeah, basically. It looked like a human brain. And it was the size of a volleyball. And especially, it's not like after I spiked it and threw it at her. And I didn't do that. Only because I'm a Christian. Everything else in me was like... But the kicker was, we're sitting in this corner. We, they gave us a nice table, but we're sitting in the corner of the restaurant. And it's like, got these nice windows. And so I'm watching my wife eat a steak. I'm eating a plate of vegetables, which already things are not going well. But she's eating the steak. I'm eating a plate of vegetables. And if I look just over her shoulder, out the window, I can see Flemings across the street. (laughs) So I'm telling you all of that because I want to talk about a meal today in our time together. I want to talk about the communion meal. I want to talk about what it means. And I want to talk about why it matters. And if you've been a Christian for a while, then you've probably experienced communion here at Calvary. And Sometimes there are those who really understand what it means and those of us who maybe aren't sure what it means besides like, well, it's something that Christians do and it's something that Jesus told us to do. And so what I want to do in our time together is really talk about why communion matters, what it does in us and for us every time we partake of communion because, and I'm so glad about this, the people in the city of Corinth had forgotten or they had missed it altogether. And that's why we're going to talk about it. So if you can believe this, We are in the 15th message in a series that we are calling A Beautiful Mess in our series in 1 Corinthians. And the Apostle Paul, if you're not aware, planted the church in Corinth. Now, Corinth is a city in southern Greece. He planted that church and spent about two years there, um, reaching people, building up leaders, um, encouraging them. And then he turned the church over to local leaders and went to plant more churches. And then he gets a letter from a woman named Chloe that attended church there with her family. And the Apostle Paul, uh, she says to the Apostle Paul, this church is a mess. There's all kinds of problems. There's infighting and division. And so the letter that we're reading, that we've been studying now for the last few months, is his response to them. And he, he's encouraging them that in a world that's so divided, we need to have a church that's united. And he tells them that the way to have that, the way to be a united church in a divided world is having what he calls the mind of Christ. And that is thinking about things the way Jesus thinks thinks about things. And that is knowing what God wants you to do and speaking in a way that's consistent with the character and nature of God. Now, for those of you that aren't aware, or even if you are, let's do a little review. So let's go, I'm going to start 35,000 feet. The first six chapters of 1 Corinthians are Paul correcting all of the problems, the internal problems, the conflict that was happening in the church and all the division of factions. And then in chapter seven, he changes gears completely. And he says, now concerning 
the questions that you wrote to me about. The Corinthians had written Paul a letter saying, listen, we have all these questions about theology and practice and how things work. And so in chapter 7, he talks about marriage and singleness and what that means for Christians. And in chapters 8, 9, and 10, he talks about how do Christians disagree agreeably without vilifying the other person. And Paul's solution is he tells those who are more mature that they might have to curb their freedom for the sake of those who aren't as mature and for those that, um, in the immature, he calls the weak. And uh, for those who are weaker believers, he says, you've got to stop being offended all the time. And he says that that's, that's one of the marks, by the way, of a person who is a weak believer is that they are offended all the time. And if you're like, well, that offends me. Well, then you just identified which camp you're in. And so, but then in chapter 11, Paul changes gears again. And he starts talking about church services and how things ought to operate in a way that honors God. And last time we looked at gender roles, how God has wired us and how things are supposed to work in church services. And now he's going to drill down a little bit more and talk to us about the place of communion and understanding the place that communion should hold in church services and the place that communion should hold in our hearts as we experience it. So we're going to start in chapter 11, starting in verse 17. And here's what we read. It says, now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you Since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. For there also must be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in eating, uh, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. If you pause there and give me your attention. We're going to talk about communion. We're going to talk about three things that communion does. And um, as we begin, that Paul's going to outline for us. The first is this, if you're a note taker. That is that communion connects the past to our present. Now, As we start with this, let me just add a little bit of background and color so that you understand what's happening and what we're reading. In Corinth, there were people who were coming together for church services, and they would share what was called a communal meal. And so if you've been here or if you're going to be here for Summer Bash, this is just a bunch of us um, having fun together. We're going to share a meal together. Um, if you Years and years ago at Calvary, most of you weren't here yet because our church was like 12 people, uh, but we would have these potlucks where everyone would get together. Well, it's a similar idea, except the way it would work in Corinth is they would have the communal meal together, and then at the end of the service, they would have communion. And so people were bringing food, and they were eating and drinking wine, which was very common in that culture because uh, just normal water had, uh, it was a way to distill the water and make it clean, um, was to make it one part wine. But some of these guys were having kind of an open bar policy, and they were getting drunk at church events. And then they would get to communion in the service and be completely sloshed. And so this was embarrassing to say the least. And that's why Paul says, as we're reading, he says, I'm not surprised that there are factions in your church. That is, uh, that way people know who's honoring God and whose, you know, group is playing beer pong before they get to the communion part of the service. And from what we read, there seems to be some division or some cliques that were forming based on those who were more affluent and those who were less so. And that's why verse 21 says that some were hungry and others were drunk. Some had such abundance 
but had no heart of generosity to share. It was a complete mess. And the fact that they weren't eating together, they completely miss the whole point. Communion, the Greek word is koinonia. And koinonia is about sharing what it is that we have in common. That we come to the communion table and we are sharing our common faith together. We're sharing our common savior that makes all of this possible. And they didn't get it, which shows that what a mess this church was. Now, let me explain this as we get started because it's really going to help you understand the conversation that would be happening in a Jewish mind as we understand what communion is. Now, when we talk about communion, we're actually talking about one aspect of the Passover meal. Now, for those who are a little newer to the faith, you might say, okay, that's great. What is Passover? So let me explain that. When the children of Israel, they had been slaves in Egypt, when they were leaving Egypt, God sent the ten, uh, the final of ten plagues, which was the death of the firstborn. And there was a protection for God's people. Those, and they didn't have to necessarily be Jewish, but they had to believe in the God of Israel. They would go into their home, they would share a meal together, lamb and unleavened bread, and they would put blood on the doorposts of their home. And then when the angel of death saw the blood on the doorpost, he would pass over that home. Now, this was so monumental. It was the night of their redemption that the, when the children of Israel are leaving of Egypt, God tells them that they must never forget this night and that they are to memorialize it and commemorate it every night. So when we get to the Gospels, and Jesus is having what we call communion with his disciples, this is, they are just zeroing in on one part of the Passover meal. And so when he picks up the bread and the cup, that is one of the four cups that was celebrated at the Passover. Now, just to give you a little bit of background, let me give you all four cups. There were four cups of wine that were tied to the Passover, and they were tied to the four promises of God that are given to the people of God in Exodus chapter 6. The first cup, if you're a note taker, is called the cup of sanctification. Now, sanctification is a word that means to set apart for a special purpose, and that's what God is doing. God is removing the children of Israel from Egypt. He's setting them apart, bringing them to a place of freedom, and that is a land flowing with milk and honey, a land of promise, and so he's taking them from there. That's why in Exodus chapter 6, the first part, he says, therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. This is not the cup that's mentioned in the Gospels, although it has huge implications for us because we've been removed from the kingdom of darkness, brought into the kingdom of light because of what Jesus has done for us. The second cup that's mentioned, that, that's talked about in the Passover is what's called the cup of praise. Now, this is where God declares to the people that they are going to be delivered from the bondage of slavery. In the second part of Exodus 6, 6, he says, and I will free you from being slaves to them. Now, this cup was a celebration of the good news that God had heard their prayers over generations and now was going to answer. The third cup was called the cup of redemption. This is where God declares that he's going to take back what is rightfully his, his people. In the last part of verse 6 in Exodus 6, he says, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. This is the cup that the gospel writers zero in on and talk about as we celebrate communion. It's the cup that Jesus picked up after supper where he says, whenever you drink this, remember me. Now, the fourth cup, just to round it out, is what's called the cup of acceptance. And this is where God declares that 
these people will be his people and that he will be their God. In Exodus chapter 6, verse 7, he says, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Now, when Jesus picks up the cup and he picks up the bread and he says, this is my body broken for you. This is my cup. This cup is my blood which is shed for you. There, there had to be this moment where the disciples turned to each other and were like, what did he just say? Because when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of, you got to understand, the guys are like, yeah, we get it, Jesus. We've been, we've been Jewish our whole lives, and our parents were Jewish, and our grandparents were Jewish, and we can get our lineage all the way back to Abraham, like the very first Jewish person. And so we've, we've got it. We've been doing this in remembrance of, but he says, do this in remembrance of the freedom that came from you know, God delivering the people. But he didn't say that. He says, do this in remembrance of me. And like, what did he just say? That's not how the script goes. And now, why is that important? Now, you got to understand from our perspective, this is a little bit strange. This is the equivalent of you guys coming into church one particular Sunday in the next few months. And I say to you guys, as Christmas is getting closer, I got something special planned. And uh, we're going to do things a little different this year. You know how typically we celebrate the birth of Jesus every Christmas? Well, this, this year is going to be a real hoot because this year... We're going to celebrate my birth. Happy Bob, Miss Everyone. It's going to be great. And I'll have a list of things you can buy me. And, right? And so, and you, you know, throw tomatoes and, or whatever else, you know, and, and, and leave, and rightly so. Why? And, and while the illustration is a bit ridiculous, what Jesus is changing and what he's connecting with, this is very disruptive. Why? Because what he's, realized, what he's explaining and he's connecting the Passover to what he is about to do. Uh, to his disciples. He's saying, just like the deliverance from Egypt was a deliverance from slavery to freedom, Jesus is saying, my death is a deliverance from the slavery of sin to now freedom that you will have from sin in relationship to me. Paul hinted at this, this idea of Jesus being the fulfillment. And we can understand what Jesus did if we understand the Passover. He talked about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He said it this way. He said, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. The point is this. When you really understand communion, you understand that all of us were slaves to sin, and now we've come to Jesus for freedom and forgiveness, and we have all of that in common. That's what communion is about. It's about having this in common. And when we don't take it seriously, we miss the point entirely. That's why Paul's going to drill down on this um, in the next passage, he says this in verse 23, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Second thing I want you to know, and that is that communion connects believers to each other. It connects the past to our present, but it connects believers to each other. There's something that I didn't understand about communion when I was younger that I've come to understand as I've gotten older and had children. And that is the power that happens around a table in a shared meal. When I was in high school and college and I'd go out to eat with my friends and come home, my mom would ask me what I had for dinner. And it didn't matter what I said. It really didn't. As if it wasn't a home-cooked Cuban meal, she would always have the same answer. 
she would say, that's not real food. Right? Es no comida. That, that would be the, the general, that's not food. Like, that's not real food. If it wasn't white rice and black beans, it wasn't real food. And I'd say, no, it is real food, unlike the fake plastic fruit on our dining room table, which apparently comes standard issue with every Cuban family, because I've never been in a Cuban home where they didn't have the fake plastic fruit. And, uh, but there it is nonetheless. And you really haven't, you didn't grow up in a Cuban home unless you tried to eat it. You didn't pay attention. You're like, oh, look at Oh, yeah. Anyway, so, so anyway, so, but I'll tell you what happens is that, so a, a while back, I make churrasco. If you don't know what churrasco is, that's skirt steak. I make skirt steak for dinner on my big green egg, which is this smoker that I have. And so I make, it, it's some of the most legit steak I've, I've ever made. And then I make rice for the kids and um, cauliflower for me because I can't be happy. Um, and so I, make, I take vegetables, I put them on skewers, you know, mushrooms and onions and all that, and everybody's going crazy, except my son. And I ask him how it was, and I'm like, was it all? He's like, yeah, it's good. It's just it's not what I wanted. I'm like, what'd you want? He's you know, what I really wanted was Red Baron. Do you know what Red Baron is? Red Baron is frozen pizza, like store-bought frozen pizza. And I'm like, Red Baron? That's not real food. And I'm like, oh! Oh no, I have literally become my parents. Like when you're growing up, like there's one thing, like what do you want to be? I don't know what I want to be, but I know what I don't want to be. And as I don't want to be my parents and you are almost guaranteed to become your parents. And so, but here's the thing that happens, right? And this is the thing that I learned is that a shared meal, isn't it interesting how a shared meal connects you to your culture? It connects you to your past. It connects you to each other. Why? Because when you share a meal together, the same food that's nourishing you is nourishing me. The same food that's nourishing is nourishing us. And so we're becoming one in that way. So when, and, and what happens is, is that when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, we understand part of it because we think, well, remember and remembrance of me means don't forget. But remember has another meaning. In fact, the way to really understand it is to actually look at it in the opposite. And that is, what is the opposite of remember, beyond to forget, right? The, the, the opposite of remember is to dismember. And so to remember is to graft something onto your body to add what wasn't there or has been lost. By the way, this is exactly what Paul is talking about uh, when he talks about Gentile people who are outside of the covenant of God being able to know the God of Israel through Jesus. He talks about this in Romans chapter 11. He says it this way. But some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel have been broken off. That is, they did not believe in Jesus, the Messiah. And you Gentiles who were branches from a wild olive tree have been grafted in. So now you also receive the blessing God promised to Abraham and his children sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. So... Let me tell you what that means. It means if you're here and you're bitter and angry and fearful and lacking hope or filled with anxiety, it means one of two things. It means you either don't believe that Jesus died for you and loves you, and if you were literally the only person on earth, he still would have died for you. That's how much he loves you. Or you believe that, but you've never allowed those truths to be grafted into your life and, or allowed your life to be grafted into it and allow it to change you. So the other day, I was on Monday, I took my kids 
to Jackson's Ice Cream. How many of you have been to Jackson's? Okay, these are the people of God right here. So, <laughs> now if you've never been to Jackson's, you have work to do, all right? This is like, some, this is, this is like a, a great South Florida place, and so we got, we got Jackson's, and we ordered weird ice cream, and you know, anyway. So we had a great time, and we hadn't been there in eight years, and I'm like, guys, enjoy it, and we'll, we'll see you guys back in 2029. Um, so, but as we're driving home, we're, um, we see this older gentleman walking across the street, and he has a prosthetic limb. And my younger kids are asking me about what that is. Like, what is a prosthetic limb? What does it mean? How does something like that happen to a person? And I was explaining that many times, especially a guy like this who was in his, probably his mid to late 70s, um, was someone who probably fought for our country and lost his leg fighting for our freedoms. And so we started talking about that. And what does that mean? And sometimes you have these things that you've been blessed with and you don't, you take them for granted. And so we're having this conversation in our car as we're driving home. But I want to walk through something with you as we had this conversation about this man, because this man being able to walk is directly related to your fear of the future. It's directly related to why someone could have bitterness in their heart. Because this man had something attached to his body. We could say that that limb had been remembered. And he was able to walk in a way that he could not before. When you remember communion, that is, attach the radical love of God to your life and attach your life to him, you will walk in a way that no one else can understand. You have an ability to walk without fear. You have an ability to live without bitterness. You can have peace when anxiety wants to rule over you. And it's simply because you have remembered something and attached yourself to it and allowed that to attach itself to you. He's going to go on in verse 27. He says it this way. He says, Paul says, therefore, in light of that, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty in the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat the bread and drink the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened or disciplined by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. Last thing I want to tell you, if you're a note taker, and that is that communion connects my sin with God's grace. Now, this is one of the harsher passages in 1 Corinthians because it talks about discipline coming from God because they didn't take communion seriously. Now, before I explain what it means, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you have to be perfect to take communion. Let me tell you what it does mean, that if you think it's okay to harbor unforgiveness and bitterness and hate towards someone and then think it's okay to take communion, you don't understand what communion is. And so if you're thinking, well, then I guess I shouldn't have communion. No, just get rid of the hate, bitterness, and unforgiveness that you've got. That's the whole point when you come to communion is I've got to let this go because when I come to communion, I understand what God has done for me because What would happen if God took a stand like that in my life, in your life, in our lives? We would be destroyed. Because I'm telling you, 
the evidence against us is pretty good for us being sinners because your wife is going to be called to the stand. And you're, I'm, yeah, I'm just like, okay, I'm, do, I'm done for then. Um, why? Because that's how it works. And, and listen, and we know God and walk with God by grace. And if we know God and walk with God by grace, who are we to withhold grace from other people? We're sinners who are saved by grace, so we, by nature of what we've received, we have to extend grace because we've received it. And if we don't, then either we're too immature to know what we've been forgiven of, or we've never really experienced God's grace in our lives. See, that's why Paul says, examine yourself. That means scrutinize yourself or investigate yourself. He's, before you take communion, think through them. Am I harboring unforgiveness or bitterness? Am I holding things against another believer? Am I dealing with people fairly in business? Am I loving my family in a way that honors the name of Jesus? Am I judging others harshly but then expecting grace for me? And if I am, then I need to deal with it. I need to ask for forgiveness. I need to seek reconciliation and then take communion knowing that I need God's help to be the man or the woman that God has called me to be. My friends, communion is not a place for the perfect. It's a place for the broken. That's why Jesus took bread and he broke it. It was an invitation for broken people. Part of the Passover meal, the modern Passover meal, is to take three pieces of matzah and take the middle one and break it, wrap it in linen, and then hide it. And kids search the house looking for it, and whoever finds it is given a prize. A, a celebration follows. That piece of matzah that's broken and hidden is called the afikomen, which is interesting because it is the only Greek word that's found in an all-Jewish celebration. What does afikomen mean? Afikomen is a Greek word that means this, I have come. What does it signify? Listen, modern Jews today are even baffled by its significance, but those of us who understand the gospel, it's clear. God, who is Father, Son, and Spirit, the Son was sent, and he told us that the bread was his body, which was broken. That's why in Psalm 40, which is also quoted in Hebrews chapter 10, he says, uh, Then I said, Behold, I have come, and the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O God. You see, Jesus' body was broken. And when they took him off the cross, they wrapped him in linen and they hid him away. And three days later, he rose from the dead and his disciples celebrated. And you know what I find so interesting? Um, Moroccan Jews, they take a piece of the afikomen and keep it with them. So whoever has those Jews living in Morocco, they'll, they'll have a cell, the, the a Passover feast together and, and then everyone takes a piece of the afikomen and keeps it with them for an entire year until the next Passover. And they have this tradition that if a storm comes while you're at sea, all you have to do is take the afikomen from your pocket and throw it into the sea and it will calm the waters. A tradition, my friends, that is rooted in Jesus, the one who quieted the storm just by saying, peace, be still. You see, my point is this, is that as a, as a believer, the true afikomen is with you. The one who calms the storms, who speaks to the tempests in our lives to be still, that's what we're reminded of when we go to the communion table. 
And if you're going through a difficult season, you are in the perfect place because the Afikom in Jesus wants to calm the storm of your life. You see, this is the place where we remember what we've been saved from. It's the place where we remember who we belong to. And it's where we remember that God is still changing us by his grace. And it's where we remember that our connection to him truly is what changes everything. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you for that promise that you can calm the sea, that even when the storm comes, that we are not alone. You're with us. And so we pray that as we partake in communion together, that you would do your work in us in this moment that you transform us even now and leave this place different than when we came in. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward and hand out the communion elements. And as they do, the band's going to lead us. And this is your moment. This is your moment where if you say, um, there's, there's a sin I need to forsake, then forsake it. And there, if there's a promise that you need to make, then make it. And if there's something that I need to reconcile, there's bitterness and there's anger and there's um, all this junk in me, then this is the place to let it go and ask God to transform you. So the band is going to lead us and hold on to the elements and we're going to partake of them together. Gospel of Matthew records. He says, As they were eating, Jesus took bread. He blessed and broke it, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat. This is my body. Let's partake of the bread together. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. 
For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now until I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's partake of the cup together. And Lord, we want to thank you for a love that we can't even put into words. For a grace that is so amazing. For a forgiveness that is greater than our sin. And God, we just pray that you would make us people of grace. That we would walk with you in such a way that people would know that our lives have been transformed by you and would be drawn to know you because of what you've done in our lives. God, may the moments that we come to you in communion be the moments that change us. And may we walk in that spirit of communion daily. We prayed in Jesus' name and everybody said, Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.